Father in heaven, we thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness and grace to us, Lord. And we thank you that uh, we can enjoy the sweetness and faithfulness of youth and be encouraged. And we pray that you would bless us this morning, Lord, as we look at your word. In Mark chapter 14, we pray that you would teach us about yourself and draw us closer to you and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy. If you're just joining us, thank you for tuning in or coming in in person. Um, Last week we were in Mark chapter 14, which in its original setting is occurring in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there we see Jesus praying, preparing for his betrayal and his crucifixion. And really what we see from Jesus' life is that he both taught and modeled Prayer. He both taught and modeled it. Um, and today, what we will see are the results. Like, there are those who t- he himself took his advice and put it into practice, and we'll see his attitude. And there was one of his disciples by the name of Peter who, even though Jesus said to him, Watch and pray, temptation is coming, look out. He was unable to do so, and we'll see what happened to him as well. And so I want to compare and contrast the Jesus attitude and the Peter attitude and the impact of prayer and what Jesus uh, was teaching this morning. And so really, I know what I've been doing is I've been taking these different scenes like uh, the upper room and the supper and the garden prayer. And today it's the betrayal. But as you've seen, they all sort of run together and they have... um, interweaving threads that uh, unite the themes. And so today's is really flowing. That theme is flowing out of last week's sermon. But we're going to start in Mark chapter 14, verse 10. And then I'm going to skip a few verses and skip a few verses and skip a few verses because everywhere we go, I want to be pointing at the betrayal and showing what happened there. So this is verse 10 of chapter 14. Well, the um, verses up on the slides, but you can follow along in your Bible as well. Just hold on because we're going to move quick through this chapter. Mark chapter 14, verse 10, it says this, the betrayal. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him, Jesus, to them. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him and to one another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. In verse 41 it says, And he came to them a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer was at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, and with him 
a crowd with swords and clubs and from the chief priests and scribes and elders. And now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and gloves to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus taught and modeled prayer. And last week we looked at that in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to remind you of what that was real quick. Because that's what moves us into the different responses today. And first of all is this. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 we have what's called the Lord's Prayer. And if you remember how that goes. It's our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And so the first thing that Jesus teaches his disciples about prayer is really all about God and not about them. It starts with the Alpha and the Omega, the great, almighty, magnificent being, God himself. It doesn't begin with their little petitions and requests and needs and greeds and desires and wants, but it begins with God. Big, gargantuan macro giant issue kingdom come God's will be done and Jesus models this then in the garden of Gethsemane when he begins praying there he says Abba father just like our father who art in heaven all things are possible for you I recognize God that you're huge that you're big you're magnificent you're powerful here's my request remove this cup from me yet Not what I will, but what you will. So your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but your will. Lord, this is my desire, but I recognize my desires should be subordinate to yours. And if you look at Jesus' life, that's the way he lived his whole life. Is in submission to his father. And we saw the request was... Remove this cup from me. And we followed that theme of the word immediately through Mark. And we saw all these things that God did immediately in response to Jesus' prayer. Whether it's raising the dead or healing or feeding or whatever else. Immediately God's power came. And so we expected that in this instance perhaps just maybe when Jesus, God's beloved son says remove this cup. That immediately God would do it. But instead what did we see? Immediately, Judas came. The answer to Jesus' request was the exact opposite of what he asked for. He asked, remove it. And instead, the betrayer came. It's almost like it accelerated it. And there he was, Judas, there to betray him. Immediately. This time, there was not immediate deliverance, but instead immediate betrayal. And there are clubs and swords. Swords most likely with the Roman soldiers who were well equipped and armed. The clubs with the Jewish guard. And there they are in the garden. And let me just walk you through uh, a few of these verses here. To show you some of the significance 
of these terms, and then I'll come back to my main point here in just a second. But I want to start with verse 10 of chapter 14, and it says this, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, one of the twelve. I've talked to some of my other pastor's friends just to give you insight behind the scene. And it's funny how it works because, you know, in, in a public position, people receive criticism. That's what you get, it, regardless of who you are. If you're a sports player, you get criticized. If you're a weather person, you get criticized. If you're in ministry, you get criticized. And it's funny because we know that this will happen and we look at scriptures and jesus says you know everyone's gonna hate you and you're gonna follow after me and you're gonna suffer and we're like yeah 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 and then it happens and we're like what's happening (laughs) you know we don't understand and and we go back and forth on this and we sort of expect it from the outside like that's where it makes sense like yeah those the other team opposes us so naturally they're going to push back but where it really hurts is when it comes from the inside. That's where it hurts. And when you read this text and you look at it, it says one of the 12. It's just like, oh, right there. I mean, surely the, the Roman guard's okay. And you know, like the, the crazy zealots, sure. And maybe the Pharisees or the Sadducees, but one of the 12? Oh. What in the world? That is not right. Right from the inside. In goes the knife. And then Judas twisted a little harder by kissing him. The words in the original Greek are not just a little peck on the cheek, but it's the same one that's used of the woman who's wiping his feet with her hair. It's like affectionate. It's like a strong, loving, kindly, warm embrace. It's like he's overdoing it to make his point. This was one in verse 18. Here's a picture of verse 18. It says, who was reclining at the table with Jesus. This is an intimate position. You don't get to sit in the inner circle with your head on his chest if you're just some outsider. But this is a close spot. And Jesus, knowing what would happen to him, as he's predicted multiple times throughout this whole gospel, says, look, guys, here's what's going to happen. One of you is going to betray me. And that person is sitting right next to him. But it's interesting to me to see that Jesus doesn't say, it's him. Because what do you think would have happened? You saw what Peter did in the garden. What do you think Peter would have done if Jesus was like, and it's him? Peter may have been like, get him, whack. (laughs) No problem now, Lord. We're good, right? (laughs) Problem solved. I like Peter. (laughs) I understand this guy. This is what I do and get myself in trouble all the time. I'm like, oh, problem. (laughs) Done, right? Like Peter. So Jesus doesn't tell him. Instead, he just says, it's one of you. And as a result, what do I have to do? That examine themselves. So, man, is it me? Would I do that? Yeah, it just might. Oh boy, I hope it's not going to be me. Wow, I better examine myself. What do you know? They're examining themselves at the Lord's Supper. Hmm. So there's Jesus leaning in 
and asking them to look at their own hearts because the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can know it? It's time to examine yourselves, guys. One of you, one of the 12, one of the inner circles of all places is going to betray me. Then in verse 41 is really where I see this thing taking hold. And let me pull out there for a minute and I'll just come back to it in a second. So here's the setting. Jesus is at this intimate spot. Someone's going to betray him. He knows who it is. It's all coming down to this. And just the night before, Jesus had been praying and praying and praying like crazy. And he goes out. And he tells his disciples, you guys need to pray too. And he finds them asleep. Now, why do they need to pray? Probably like us, we think, oh, I know why you need to pray. You need to pray in order that you can get what you want. Or you can get through it. Or you can be delivered. Or you can be given extra power. But Jesus has told them, the reason you need to pray is so that your hearts and souls will be ready when that trial and trouble and temptation come. So how does prayer help that? We assume, I assume, probably you assume that when you pray, if you do a really good prayer, you go down on your knees and you shut out everything else and you pray. And it's almost like Thor when he grabs the the hammer. It's like, there's power now. I'm all strong. And you stand up and you're like, yes, invigorated. But that doesn't seem to be what happens here. If that were the case, there could have been 12 legions of angels. But there wasn't. Instead, what you see is what C.S. Lewis says is this. I pray not because it changes God, but because it changes me. And you see... Through the prayer, here is the point of today's sermon. Here's the whole point. Ready? If you're writing anything down, if anything you want to remember, remember this. Through submission comes strength. Submission is strength. Submission is strength. What happens is when Jesus prays, Abba, Father, he's calling out on the almighty, beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of God who loves him and cares about him. And he recognizes that God can give immediate deliverance. But even though that is the case, he submits himself to the will of God. And when he says, not my will, but yours, that's what gives him the strength to walk through whatever comes. If he stood there and stopped and said, my will, not yours, then when he doesn't get his will, what's going to happen? He's going to be upset. It's going to be a bad day. It didn't work. I'm not happy. But if he truly means it in his heart of hearts, then whatever comes, he's okay with because he's already believed that God is good and God's in control and he'll win. And therefore, he can submit to this. And so by Jesus praying, your will be done, what he does is submit himself to the Father. And as a result, he's strengthened to the point to be able to go through whatever comes. You see this incredible resolve in Jesus play out in several ways. But let me show you one verse that I think particularly draws it out. It's Luke chapter 9 verse 51. 
One of the cool things about this portion of the gospel is that all the other writers, Matthew, Luke, and John cover it, and each one of them give more details. You can go to the life group questions, and I put all the different passages in there. You can compare and contrast and see what one adds or another leaves out. It's really cool. But here's something I want to point out in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Here's a slide. It says this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go towards Jerusalem. He set his face like there's this rock hard, steely resolve. His eyes are focused. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going and he is on his way. There is nothing that can deter him from this path. Even when Peter tells him, turn back, Lord. We don't want to go this way. Jesus is like, no, I'm headed to the cross. And people are scratching their heads going, what in the world? It doesn't make sense. Why would you do it? Why would you go that way? Because he submitted himself to the will of God. And when you submit yourself, then there is strength. And through that submission, he gets strength. Remember the word submission, upotasso, it means to line up under or behind. We think of submission and we think, oh, woe is me, you know, somebody else is my boss. But this is strength because what you do is you recognize the order. It's like in an army where there's a march and there's alignment. You get behind the tanks because you want them to go first and plow everything else down and then you can walk behind it. That's the idea of getting behind God is there's this great big strength and for you to walk out in front of it is foolish. But instead, when you line up behind it and he goes before you, then you follow in perfect submission to his will. And you have the strength you need to do what he's called you to do. It's about submission. This explains to us in Matthew chapter 5 why Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. That verse doesn't make sense. Not in my world, not in yours, not in the NBA, not in the NFL. It's not the meek. It's the strong. It's the survival of the fittest. Can anyone else see that? The one on top wins. How is it that the meek inherit the earth? Jesus is about to show us. Jesus was meek. Jesus submitted. And as a result, he follows in the perfect will of God. One of my favorite t-shirts in the whole world is this. And I've never bought it because, you know, there's all these Christian t-shirts. And we sort of take other things and we do a knockoff like Coca-Cola. And then we put, you know, something down there. (laughs) And we think we're really smart. (laughs) Or we put a bumper sticker. No offense. I almost asked, how many have bumper stickers? (laughs) Don't raise your hands. Or little fishes. Or maybe the little fishes eating the something else's. But I know that at some point when I'm driving down the road, I'm going to cut somebody off (laughs) accidentally, maybe, (laughs) and they'll see that fish and I'll think, oh man. So I've just not been a bumper sticker or a Christian t-shirt sort of guy. I've just been kind of like, you know, that's not for me. But there is one t-shirt that I actually like. There is one. 
And it's this, and it has Jesus sitting down, and it looks like Michelangelo's sort of uh, Last Supper, but instead of disciples gathered around him, has all the superheroes gathered around him, and they're just sitting there scratching their heads, and you know, Spider-Man's hanging upside down looking at Jesus, I don't know if you've seen this one or not, and it has one of these little bubble pop-ups, just like the comic books, and Jesus says, so that's how I save the world. Everybody's like, What? Because we think like Peter. I think like Peter. Perhaps you think like Peter. We're Americans. We're not pacifists. We got our rights. And we think we got to stand up for them. And boy, if somebody crosses that line and oversteps, we're ready to pow, hit them. And here's Jesus, the almighty savior and God of the universe. And Peter sees someone really cross the line and grab a hold of him and seize him. And that is not okay. And Peter whips out his sword and tries to cut his head off, probably bounces off the helmet and whacks his ear. And Jesus says, you fool. You're a fool. Fighting is foolish. You're fighting with the wrong weapon, Peter. It's totally the wrong one. I already told you earlier what weapon you should have used. The most powerful weapon on the face of the planet. It's called prayer. You think your sword is more powerful than my angels? You think you're a big guy because you got a shiny little piece of metal? You think you're tough? You think you're brave? You think you're special forces? You think you're strong? This is not the point. Obviously, you have not submitted to the will of God. Because if at this point, if you'd been praying all night long and you're submitted to the will of God, you would have been comforting and encouraging Jesus, knowing what would happen and allowing him to go. But you're trying to prevent him from doing the one thing that he's been called to do by hurting somebody else. That is the wrong way. It's totally wrong. Yet so many times, that's what we, that's what me, that's what I, that's what us, we would like to do. Something bad in our life, something we don't like. Pull out the sword, chop it. I think, now I'm not a pacifist, I love the outdoor sports, and I am an American, so that's my culture. But I think there's a good case to be made here, and I can understand why certain groups of Christians go towards pacifism. I get it. They challenge my beliefs. When I lived in Canada, I worked among a group that still held to those traditions. And they're like, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, forgive. Jesus tells Peter to put away a sword. Yes, there's a point. He tells him to get the sword. But this is not it. And when you're submitted to the will of God, you trust in him to protect and take care of you. It's challenging. It's hard. It's rough. It's not easy. It's not the way I want to go. But this is what we see in the garden of Gethsemane. In the attitude of Christ. There's the attitude of Peter. Hey, let's stand up and fight. Don't let anyone overstep. We got to whack them if they do and put them back in their place. And he didn't pray. And he woke up and found himself given into temptation. And then there's the attitude of Jesus understands it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And he doesn't want to go through it. And he's asking God to help. But at the end of the day, come what may, he's going to follow his father. Which one? 
which one is right. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 41. Jesus comes to them a third time and says, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The hour. This is the hour. I mean, there's a lot of hours in the world, right? When was the greatest hour of your life? Jesus says, this is the hour. At the worst moment, when the insider betrays him and stabs him in the back, when he is hurt beyond recognition, this is the hour of his glory. This is the hour. Well, I thought it would be when the Son of Man comes back in glory. We'll look at that in a few weeks to come. But wow, for Jesus to sit here and say, this is the hour. The Son of Man, that's a prophetic term. I promise we'll get to it in a couple weeks. Is betrayed into the hands of sinners of all places. Like, shouldn't Jesus go into the hands of the angels? Shouldn't Jesus go into the arms of his Father? Shouldn't Jesus be raised into glory to sit on the throne? Jesus goes into the hands of sinners. That's the last place this perfect lamb should ever go. Into the hands of sinners. To the hands of you and me. But there's nowhere else for him to go. Because we're all sinners. Any human being who received Jesus would have qualified for that description. But these sinners are going to put him to death. And he knows that. It says, rise, let us be going. Again, Jesus steps up. He steps into it. And the other gospels show us when they're like, "Uh, where is he? He's like, I'm here. It's me. He steps ahead of his disciples. He's going before them. He's protecting them. He's preventing their arrest. They have time to escape. He doesn't. He gives himself over. He set his face toward Jerusalem. Immediately, verse 43, while he's still speaking, here's Judas, one of the twelve. The crowd with swords, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. The betrayer had given them a sign, the one I would kiss. And he came and he went up to them and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those stood by, um, John tells us that was Peter, with his sword and struck the servant of the high priest. And Jesus said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple and you did not seize me, but... Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let the scriptures be fulfilled. Not my will, but yours. Let the scriptures be fulfilled. That was Jesus' mission. To complete the law of the prophets. To obey the will of the Father. On earth just like he had always done in heaven. See, through submission, there is strength. And so many times in our life, we want to push back. We want to rebel. We want to fight against it. We want to claim our rights. That's the wrong way. 
That's the wrong way. The right way is to submit ourselves to the will of God. And that's not natural. And that's not easy. And that's why we need to pray. Because prayer doesn't necessarily change God. It changes us. And through the prayer, we get power. Not the power of Thor, but the power of Christ who helps us to submit our heart to his. As you get ready to go throughout this week, I want to just encourage you to do that one thing. Think about that term, that submission is strength. It's the exact opposite. If we were sitting down with the superheroes, we'd think the same thing. We'd be scratching our heads. How did you do that? Why did you do that? Why not use the sword? It doesn't make sense. Jesus is all about the will of the Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we thank you for today and we praise you for who you are. Lord, I love seeing the perfect submission of your son, his willingness to obey your will no matter what. I know many times that that has not been me. And I ask that you would help it more so to be. That I would submit myself to you and gain strength through that and allow you to change my heart through prayer. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. And we pray that you would bless us through it. Not because we deserve it, but because you love us. You know, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. We ask that you take our suffering from us, but not what we will, but you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.